Well, good morning, Taze Valley. Let's try that again. Good morning, Taze Valley. I just make sure. Everybody... Yeah, there we go. It's better. Hey, I'm Russ Jordan. I'm the campus minister at Beckley. Uh, I got some on Beckley folks there. So wave your hands, Don and Sarah. They came all the way up. Actually, they're visiting some family and friends, and they said, hey. And I said, well, it looks like you guys are kind of following me. I got like a little posse, so I kind of feel kind of good about that. No, but uh, just greetings from Beckley campus. Appreciate all y'all's prayers and support for us. Uh, God has blessed us. We've been growing a little bit and seen some new faces, had some baptisms here in the last uh, month or so. So God's, God's good. And uh, I'm glad I can come and share. Last Sunday, I shared this message in St. Albans. So if you get online, you probably have heard this sermon. Anybody do that this week? If you did and you're back, you, are you a glutton for punishment or what? Uh, but uh, now we, I, we are all going around uh, preaching the same messages at different campuses. Dave's in Beckley, uh, Brian's at uh, St. Albans this Sunday. And uh, my, my sermon in this Great Joy uh, series is on worship. And uh, actually, I preached this sermon about three months ago in Beckley, and it kind of opened our eyes to what God wants uh, from us when we come to worship. And the story is found, uh, we're all based on the biblical stories of Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bibles, I'm checking my Bible just so you all know. I'm not checking text messages or anything like that, or texting or doing a Kroger cook list or anything like that. All right. But it's in Matthew chapter 2, and it's the story of the Magi coming to visit uh, Jesus, uh, Mary, and Joseph. Now, one of the things I just kind of want to debunk when we read this story is the traditions that are set up in Christmas. Now, every manger scene has the wise men, right? Do you realize the wise men did not come to see Jesus at the manger, right? They came to the house, right? It just it says the house, all right? Another thing is, it doesn't say how many wise men. It just says that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So in every manger scene, how many wise men are there? Three, yeah, and it's never like that. We don't know. It could have been a whole group of them or just a, just a couple of them. We don't know, all right? But my point is, is that, you know, there's a lot of things that we celebrate in the tradition of Christmas that, you know, may not line up exactly with what the scripture says. But it's nothing to like split hairs over, you know. The manger scene has wise men bringing gifts to Jesus, correct? So don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. We, sometimes we get so torqued about things that are just what I consider, and I think what God considered are just like little bitty hills, you know. Let's get on the big issues when it comes to this idea of worship. And that's the thing I want to kind of want you to see in these 12 verses here is that so many times when you hear a sermon about the wise men and the magi coming to visit, we talk about them, we talk about the gifts that they're bringing and what they mean, but I really want you to understand what their purpose of, why they came to visit the child. And we're going to see the word worship mentioned three times in these 12 verses, which I think leads us to understand that this was the point of us understanding why they came. They came to worship. So uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen with me um, as I read this. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east um, came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose up, and we've come to worship him. There's our first time of that word. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and with all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, they asked him where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied. And for it is written in the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of Israel, and my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out the exact time the star had appeared. And listen to what he says. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, 
So they made two go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the, and the star where they had seen it rose and ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and here's our word again, worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back um, to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, uh, that is the story as it is written in the scriptures, in the NIV translation that we read. Oh, uh, did I dismiss the students? I forgot. I, sometimes I get carried away and forget to dismiss the students. So if, they, if you all need to go, you can go and no one's going to make fun of you or call you out right now. All right? So no, speak now or ever hold your peace or you're stuck with me for the next 20 or so minutes. All right? So, um, but anyways, you know, three times the word worship is used. Now, notice the Magi were going with the right intentions to worship, right? It says in that one verse, it says, we want to come and worship him, right? And then notice a little bit farther, Herod told the Magi, when you find him, you tell me so I can go worship him. I don't know if you understand the difference there, because when Herod went to go worship, the, the, the historical account of this is called the great weeping. Herod killed every male child under the age of three in the town of Bethlehem. So, even though the Magi were going to worship, Herod's intention for worship was completely different. But notice when the Magi arrived to the house, the word of the Lord says they were overjoyed in worship. And, there, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. Our worship. How many of you all got to see the, the Chosen series we just finished up in November? Wasn't that great? Um, I really enjoyed it. The last episode and the last scene was one of the most powerful, in my opinion. This is where this journey of worship has come to me. I've been on a journey for like five or six years, basically taking the very words that Jesus and the woman at Jacob's well had that conversation. She was most impressed that Jesus knew that the man she was living with wasn't her husband and he, she'd been married five times. But the whole point of that conversation was, she says, you Jews say that we need to come and worship in Jerusalem. And we are been told as Samaritans that we are to worship on this mountain. And Jesus responds to her and says, I'm telling you, a time has come when the true worshipers of God will neither worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain, for the worshipers the Father seeks are what? Ones who will worship in spirit and in truth. And that's got me thinking. What's that mean? I'm here to tell you that worship, when we gather on Sunday morning, is more than just singing. But a lot of times we equate those two words as synonyms, and they're not. Worship is a daily lifestyle that we have with the Lord, all right? But when we come in here, there is elements of corporate worship that we do. The Lord's Supper. We find it in Scripture that we take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, as in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, when Paul went to Troas, it was a precedent of the early church. He made times and preparations, it seems like, just to be at Sunday at Troas so he could take the Lord's Supper with the other Christians. We also do the apostles' teaching. We realize in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that there were four essential elements that the church did together. They came together to break bread, the Lord's Supper. They came together for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship and prayer. Those are the essential elements of what they did together as, in, as the early church began. Now, one of the things that's included in that, and what we call that, is worship. 
And I want to talk to you a little bit about the singing part because I want to kind of encourage you with something. On this journey that I have been on to be a true worshiper of the Father that He seeks in spirit and truth, I needed to go to the truth to find out what kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Doesn't that make sense? We use the book. We say this all the time. We are people of the book. That's what we refer to ourselves as the instrumental and non-instrumental Churches of Christ Christian Church Movement, or also known as the Stone Campbell Movement or the Restoration Churches Movement. All of that is who we are. And we say we're people of the book. Well, let me tell you something, people of the book. We cannot just be people of the book when it's convenient and we agree with it. <laughs> we must be people of the book no matter what the book says. Does that make sense? And I want to te- teach you that the apostles, when they were teaching the early church about uh, how to become Christians, guess which Bible they used? Don't say King James Version. All right. Was it the Old Testament or New Testament? It was the Old Testament, because the New Testament was being written during their times, right? So they used the Old Testament to be able to teach and preach and tell people how to become Christians, including how to worship. It makes sense to me that we would go and look in the Hebrew Bible of what it means to worship. Now, the word that we use for worship is an Old English word that literally translates as worship. And when you think about what it means to worship God, then we're placing a value on God. And if you've seen the sermon, do not answer this question, all right? But I asked this question in St. Albans last Sunday, how do you determine something's value? Let me let you think about that and how I do things in Beckley. When I ask a question, I want people to respond. And I will say if you're right or wrong, if you're going to heaven or hell. No, not just kidding. (laughs) Totally not that at all, all right? So how do you determine something's value? Let's say your house, someone says it's a $150,000 house. How do you know? Well, we heard appraisal, right? That's one way. What's another way that we actually determine value? Value is something that someone is willing to pay for. During COVID, <laughs> houses down in Raleigh County probably did the same thing like around here, skyrocketed in prices. And realtors that would list houses on the very day have five offers and three of them would be above the asking price of the home. So to truly determine value of anything, it's something that someone is willing to pay for it. How do we know our worth when it comes to God? In Peter's letter, his epistle, it says this, it was not with perishable things that we were purchased with, silver or gold. It was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ that we were redeemed, and that word means bought back in a relationship with God. How valuable are you to God? You're valuable enough that He would send His only Son to come to this earth and and to live and to to go to the cross and die for us. How much more precious do you think you are? You know, a lot of the things that people struggle with in this world is understanding that what we call self-esteem, which is really another fancy word for self-worth. You know how valuable you are to God? That valuable. So the question when it comes to our worship to God is not how valuable are we to Him. The question should be, is how valuable is God to us? And this is what has started my journey through the Scriptures. This is what has started my journey to say, what is worship? What does it look like and how do we do it? And this kind of leads me to kind of the way we kind of grew up in churches. All right, so some of you 
How many of you all grew up in churches when they weren't seats and padded, they were benches and they were wooded? <laughs> right? Okay. Now, when you sat in those churches, and they didn't have children's ministries, they didn't have youth ministries, you sat there with the whole family, right? And how many of you had siblings, right? And here's how it went. Mom, dad, and then the youngest kid was next to mom, and the oldest was on the outside. Is that how it worked? That's mostly how it worked. And you sat there, and you better not move, and you better sit there and not make a sound or a peep, right? Because if you did, the first time you acted up, you got the look from mom, right? And the look says, I'll take you out, I'll murder you, and I'll bury you, and I'll make another one look just like you, because look at your siblings, all right? That's, that was the look, right? The second thing that would happen is then you got the shh, and then you got moved right next to mom, right? But if you were really bold and you kept going, mom would pick you up and take you down the center aisle, all right? Jody Thompson tells this story. He's an orthodontist in Huntington when he grew up in Guyandot Church of Christ. Does anybody know Jody? All right? Daisy was his mother. Linville was his father. He was acting up. Daisy picked him up. He's about five or six years old, throwing him over his shoulder. And on the way out, he looked at his church. These are the people he's went to church with his whole life. And he looks at him and says, help me, help me. She's going to beat me. All right. So he was counting on his church family to intervene to stop the beating that was getting ready to take place in his life. Right. Because he acted up. And I really think that that has affected us when it comes to worship. You know, it's, a, it's an old joke, it's bad, but I'm just going to tell it anyways, all right? This guy dies, and he goes to heaven, and, and there's Peter. I don't know why Peter's in every heaven joke, but he's always there. He must be the hardest working guy in heaven, right? But he's taking this guy down this hallway, and in, uh, down this hallway is all these rooms, and in this room, there's these people, and they're waving their hands, and they're jumping up and down, and he's like, whoa, what's going on there? And he goes, oh, it's the charismatic church. And he goes, man, look at them, they look like they're enjoying themselves. Go a little bit farther, and there's people all in dresses and suit and ties, reading the liturgy, and he's like, who's that? And he goes, that's the Methodist. And he's like, oh, wow, they look all proper. And he goes a little bit farther down the road and, and down this hallway, and he looks in the door, and there's all these people asleep and just sitting there. And he goes, who's that? He goes, shh, it's the Church of Christ, and they think they're the only ones here. But my, it's a terrible joke. But I really think what we were taught young, and I was too, exposed when I went to Greenwood Christian Church as a child, that you went to church, you sat down, you spectated, you didn't make a peep, and you sat there. Anyone else agree with that? Is that exactly how the Hebrew Bible was telling people to worship? So this is what my quest has been. And now, Aubrey was in the first service, and she, she amened this, all right? I am the least technological person that we have on staff, and they all know it. It's an amen type of moment. I mean, it is bad. But yeah, thank you. Thank you for filling in there. And, but I want you to Google your phone right now. Just go Google on your phone. And I want you to type in your Google search bar, Hebrew words for worship. And I want you to do this because I want you to be able to have access to this so that when you go home and disagree with what I had to say, <laughs> you can go back and say, oh, no, no, this, this is actually... Uh, what is in the Bible, all right? All right, when you Google that, let me get my phone to work, all right? The first article, just scroll up and then go right to this one that's by F. Dean Hackett, nine Hebrew words for worship and how we use them. Then what I want you to do when that loads up, just scroll down to the very bottom of the page until you see these nine Hebrew words. Now, this is a time of year that everybody's pretty flimmy, right? With congestion and stuff like this. So you guys are going to be perfect to speak Hebrew. Because I had Hebrew at 7 a.m. at Johnson Bible College on Saturday. That's tough, right? Nobody else is doing that around here, all right? 
And when you, when you look at these words, they're used throughout the entire Old Testament text. Just like we know that in the Greek language, there are at least seven different words that we use for love in our English language. In the Hebrew, when it talks about the idea of worship, there was multiple ways and understandings of Hebrew and of the word worship in the Hebrew language. So this morning, you're going to speak Hebrew with me, all right? And I want you to look at the first one down on our list, and it is called halah. Say it with me. Halah. I told you, you're going to be flimby this morning, all right? And notice what the definition of the word is. It means to praise, celebrate, boast, or rave. Now, I don't know what you guys do at Jingle Jam, but if you guys can have a rave with Jingle Jam, that would be pretty cool. I might stick around for that. But do you understand that the Bible is teaching us here that we are to celebrate or boast about God? That's what we are to teach. That is what we are to do. That is a posture that we are to take. Look at the next word down there. Yahda. Say that with me. Yahda. Isn't that fun? All right. The root word is yah, and it means the hand, cast, point, show with the hand. So it's talking about using our hands in worship. You go down a little bit farther, todah, todah. Todah says, give a sacrifice of praise. You can get all the way down to barak, and that says to kneel. It talks about kneeling. Um, how about takah? Say that one, takah. Isn't that fun? That means to strike, smite, or drive a nail, or clap hands. Clap hands. Now, here's the thing. You all know I'm an assistant basketball coach at Shady Spring High School. Please, Winfield people, love me still. I love you all, okay? Uh, we, we had a good game. You're going to have a good season. You know, we'll be up at West Virginia State playing Friday night if anybody wants to come. See how your Beckley campus minister acts on a, as a basketball coach. That's fine if you want to compare the two. But here's the thing. If the Bible is teaching us, and the apostles use this Bible to teach people how to worship, it looks fundamentally different than what we see today. And why do I call us out on this and draw our attention to this? You can say, well, I'm an introvert, so I just might sit there and worship. That's fine. But I'm trying to tell you that we need to teach our children how to worship. And men, I'm really talking to you right now. Because if we come into worship and our posture is this, we are not opening our children up for the presence of God. This is not a welcoming posture. This isn't either. You know, I, I guess what I'm trying to help us, and if you think I'm stepping on your toes, you're missing the point. I'm aiming for your heart. I want us to see in Scripture what, what our teens, when they go to conferences, our church camp, when they go and they're worshiping, and people are raising their hands, and all of a sudden they want to raise their hands, and they feel like they're really connecting to God, and then they come back to their congregation, and they're like, what are you doing? Listen to me. I'm on a journey. <laughs> I started out six years ago being the guy who's like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with them hand raisers, clappers, what are they doing? I'll be honest. I'm being transparent. But then I went to the book. <laughs> the same book that I say, the reason I, when I teach someone how to become a Christian, that they are to believe in Jesus Christ. That's a step of salvation. Because the book says it. The book tells them they are to repent of their sins. 
I believe it because the book says it. The book says when we come to know Christ, we are to confess Him before others. I believe it because the book says it. I, we teach baptism for the remission of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. We teach Him to go under because the word baptizo in the Greek means to immerse, dip, or plunge. I teach it because I believe it because the book said it. And I teach people to live faithfully for the Lord until He comes to get us or until He calls us home until the very end of our life. I believe that and I teach it because the book said it. So when it comes to worship, I'm going to believe what the book says. And the book says that we are to celebrate our Lord. And you know what? You know you can celebrate. You know why? Because of Facebook and Instagram. I see when you all are celebrating. When it's buy one, get one wing night, wherever you're at. You guys are as happy, smiles on your face. Some of you are even praising the Lord. And you know I'm right there with you because of the size I am. This is not a vegetarian body. All right? Yeah, I know you know how to celebrate when you go to baseball games. And your kids or your grandkids are out on the baseball field or the basketball court or the football field. Or to, well, you can't really celebrate and dance. That's always kind of weird to me. You know, when my daughter was in dance, I was like, yeah, Phoebe, go! And they're like, everybody's looking at me like, oh, we're not supposed to do that? Yeah, do your little twirl. You know, woo! You know, that's just my nature. We know how to celebrate. We know how to do birthdays right. <laughs> right? We know how to celebrate. But when it comes to this idea of worship, This is a problem. It's a problem for me, and it's something I'm trying to grow into. Now, I want to try to help you out. How do you get to the point that you can raise your hands and worship? Let me, first of all, apologize to this lovely family right here. First service, there was nobody behind me. And so while I go to worship, I kind of get it in the front row and I get by myself. Because number one, when these hands go up, you don't see anything. All right? I got condor wings. Okay? All right? And the other thing is, I sing terribly. As bad as I am with technology, my singing is awful. It's a good thing you have th music in your ears while you're up here singing, or I'd throw you off in a heartbeat, all right? But I am going to be the guy who's learned to worship. I used to be the guy who never sang. And what I realized was my oldest son is now 17, soon to be 18, that in my years when he went to church with his dad, and his dad sat here and never sang, my son was affected by the way I worshiped. So, I'm on a journey. And, and I want to know. I want to know if it's pointing is okay. I want to know if raising my hands is okay. I want to know if singing terribly is okay. Because the Bible says, if I were to be silent, even the rocks would cry out that my God's alive. Listen, I ain't going to let no rock out sing me. You got that? All right, I can hoop and holler and coach and yell at kids on a basketball court. I can certainly bring some enthusiasm and energy when it comes to worship the God who saved me. Again, if you're not comfortable with this, you can say, well, but we're here to be reverent. We are, we are. The Bible teaches all those things. Look at the words. I agree with you. But if we want to continue to see our generations grow up in church and leave when they go to college and never come back, then church, we have some serious soul searching and looking in the mirror to do. And you can say, and you can argue, and you can be upset, and you can say, well, I don't agree with him. That's okay. We can still break bread together. But here's my thing. Our kids, we're sending them to the conferences, we're sending them to the retreats, we're sending them to camp, and when they come back here, it's like, 
Well, I guess when you get to be an adult, this, you don't worship anymore. Let me, let me help you with something. Where's my parents and grandparents? Raise your hands. Got any great-grandparents there? Got any great ones? All right, awesome. You know, you know, Karen and Taylor moved from Beckley up this way, right? I'm okay with it. I really am. But they should have left Ridge, their son. Because Ridge has been in church with me since the second week he was born. All right? I've watched Ridge. My daughter Phoebe would come over while we were setting everything up and watch Ridge while we got everything ready for worship in the morning. That's when we had to tear down and break down every Sunday and load it in a trailer. But luckily we found a place that we don't have to do that that often. I watched Ridge learn to crawl. Went around there, you know, watch. The first time he crawled, and, and Karen being a first-time parent, first time parent, you know, when your baby's first crawling, she had like little wipes trying to wipe his hand all the time. I was just like, let him get dirty. Let him pick up a cold. He's going to live, right? But, you know, that's because I have three kids, and so far they're alive. But, but, uh, but I remember watching him. Even when he was crawling, he would do something, and he refers to me as the big guy. That's fine. It's easier than saying than Russ when you're two. The big guy. You know what he does every time he sees the big guy? I'd be willing to bet you, your children and your grandchildren, when you went to pick them up at daycare or when you're away from them, I bet they did the same thing to you. Now, there was only one thing, only one thing the disciples ever asked Jesus of that I can find in the Scriptures. In, in the Gospels. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And we go through this teaching where he's teachings on the Lord's Prayer. But there's another moment when he's teaching about prayer. He says, when you pray, you are to go into your room or into your closet. Literally translates that. And, and pray to your Father who is unseen... And he starts this prayer with the Aramaic word of what? Does anybody know it? What's the Aramaic word that he uses there when he addresses God? Abba. You are people of the book. You know what that word literally translates in Aramaic? Daddy or poppy. Now when, I, when Ridge sees the big guy and I'm not his daddy, Hands go up. At some point, along the way, before we were even taught English or ever set into a church service, our natural reaction when we saw our earthly parents was to raise our hands. I'm asking the question, is it possible that the God who called us and taught us in the Scripture to call Him Poppy our daddy would want his children to raise their hands towards him. Again, you don't have to agree with all this. That's fine. I'm on a journey. I didn't say you had to be. But what I'm saying is, as a preacher of God's Word, if we are going to teach the Word and teach the book and say all the things that we need to say, let's teach the book. Let's teach the whole book. Let's help people be free in worship. And I'll help you with this, all right? 
Because let me tell you the advancements that you make out when you start doing the hand stuff in worship. You start out down here, all right? This is called holding the baby, all right? It's called holding the baby. That's your first move, all right? You just start out with a little bit of that, maybe just a little bit of this, all right? That's just called holding the baby. You know, the way I think about this, you, you can judge me right now, and that's fine. Uh, I've seen the movie Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby. You remember when he gives his first interview? He goes, what do I do with my hands, all right? That's the way I'm trying to help you out here, okay? So you hold the baby a little bit, and you rock the baby a little bit with God and in worship. Then you might kind of get to here, you know? And then you might get to here. That's called like the mini field goal. And then you might get one hand up like this. And that's fine. That's just like the, hey, God, how are you? All right. And then you might get two of them up there. And then you might get the pointers going. I mean, all these things are acceptable based on what the Hebrew definition of worship is. The one I didn't see, and I'm waiting for you to show me, is this one. So, hear me out. I'm on a journey. You don't have to be on this journey. But when he says, I'm the worshipers the Father seeks are the ones who will worship in spirit and truth, the word truth means authenticity. I'm not asking you, because the first time I did it, I felt weird. I mean, I'm serious. I remember the very first time I raised my hand in worship. First thing I did was, did I put it on deodorant? I checked. You have to do a DO check. And make sure you're not pitting. You know, it's just weird. So, you know, things like that. It's yourself about this. But the word truth, authentic, it can't be forced. (laughs) I can't make you do this. Nor do I want to. Does that make sense? I just want to teach you. And what you do with it is totally up to you. And what we are doing this with our future generation is totally up to us. But if we are not helping people understand and teach what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ through singing and worship and how to relate to Him, I think we're closing people off to elements of the Holy Spirit. I do. I've been convicted by it. And that's why I bring this to you. Now, the kids use a word for authenticity like this. My kids say, I need you to keep it real, brah. I'm trying to keep it real, brah. That's what it means to be authentic in worship. And then when he says, the worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, the S is not capitalized. It's small s. He's referring to our spirit. There's something beautiful that happens when we gather and worship. Have you ever had one of those worship experiences that you feel like you're just in the presence of God? He says he wants our spirit to connect to his spirit. Our corporate spirits connecting together. Man, I tell you, if we can get that right, the world has never seen something like this. When people are loving God and loving each other. Because when that happens, a lot of what we see goes away. So, worship in spirit, worship in truth. Keep it real, brah. And, and, and remember, at one time, you too were a child reaching up for your parents. And today, let's be the children who reach up to their Abba. Will you pray with me? Father God in heaven, we just know that when we come across truth in your word, it causes a reaction. It causes us to dive deep into your word. Yes, Lord, 
we need to have order. We see in the book of Corinthians that when they came together, their worship was kind of all over the place. We know that we need to be reverent because you are to be revered. But there was something about Jesus' prayer life that was so radically different than the way that the teachers of the law taught or their Pharisees or even the Jewish people prayed that the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, go into your room and call out to your daddy. And Lord, when we come in here as your people, we're collectively calling out to you our Abba, our Papi. And Father, that's the intimacy and that's the relationship you so desperately want. And we're so precious to you and so valuable that you sent your only son for us. How can we not celebrate that? How can we not praise you for that? How can we not lift our hands towards heaven and point towards heaven? Father, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And Father, I pray this morning that as we come to this time in our service, there may be someone who is carrying some burden with them, that they would come forward and let us have the awesome privilege of praying with them. Maybe someone here today doesn't know Jesus in the term of Daddy. And let us talk to them and show them in Scripture what it means to follow Jesus. And Father, whatever the decision is, just let it flow. Let your spirit move amongst our spirit and may we worship you in this moment as well. So Father, right now, please move in your people. Is my prayer in Jesus' holy name and all of God's people say Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to worship God through a song. And if you have a decision that you need to make for the Lord, I'll be right up here. I'm not going to ask you, hey, he's going to want us all to raise his hands during this song. No, we need to calm down. But I am going to ask you to maybe open yourself up to that idea. And let God move. It's scriptural just as much as anything else that we do here. So as we stand and sing, won't you come?